to 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 6. We've been ministering the last few weeks out of Romans 12 where the Bible says that we're to have our minds renewed so that we can be not conformed to this world but be transformed unto the image of Christ. And we talked about a couple different things. We said that to have this happen, we need to have our mind renewed. We talked about paradigms a couple weeks ago, which are attitudes, attitudes that people have about certain things which result in them not changing. So we talked about the Swiss watch. We talked about the bicycle seat without the horn in it. And we talked about a number of different things. And that was kind of our foundation to minister on what is it that we need to have a change of mind and attitude upon. Last week was the first thing. We said we need to be humble. We need to work on humility. Now what I'd like to talk about this morning is contentment. If we want to be conformed under the image of Christ, if we want to mature and grow as a Christian, then we need to really work at learning to be content with the things that we have. First Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6, actually we could start at the beginning and read right on through. He says, Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their masters worthy of all honor. I mean, all of us here, I believe, are working in some way. And so he tells us that we are to respect and show honor unto those that are in authority. They that have believing masters, he says, let them not despise them because they are brethren. If you happen to be fortunate enough to work for a Christian boss, don't just look at him or her as a brother in the Lord but recognize that they've got the authority. They're your boss, and you're to treat them with respect. Sometimes friendships get in the way, and that can be a hindrance to uh, an authority-type position. But he says if you are a Christian and you have a Christian boss, then he says show respect unto them. He says because rather do them service. In other words, work for them. Give them an honest day's wage for an honest day's pay. I said that one time to somebody because I'm a manager at a factory. And I was getting some lip and crap and stuff from somebody. And I said, look, all I want is an honest day's work because you're getting an honest day's wage. That's all we want. And uh, it kind of shut him up and he started working and things took off pretty well. But that's what he's saying here. He says in verse 3, If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he's proud, he's arrogant, he doesn't know anything. But dotting about questions and strife of words, whereof cometh envy and strife and railing and evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men, corrupt minds that are destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, he says, from people like that, turn away. He says, this one verse is the key to my message this morning. Godliness with contentment. 
is great gain. He says there's something really that is that we can have that will be a great blessing, and that is godliness with contentment. Not being content where we're at godly-wise. God doesn't want us to be content spiritually. There are many admonitions in the Bible whereby we're told to earnestly contend. We are told to uh, crucify the flesh. We're, we're told to fight the good fight of faith. And on and on, the kingdom take the, the violent take the kingdom by force would be another. God wants us to continue to pressing on for the high prize of the calling of God in Christ Jesus. As far as godliness goes, we should never be content because that's a sign of lukewarmness. But when it comes to anything else, when it comes to material things, and not just necessarily material things, but possessions, positions, power, those things, he says, godliness with contentment. That's a great gain. He says, we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. Someone once said there's no U-Haul trailers behind hearse, and that's true. One day, you're going to leave it all behind. Having food and raiment, then let us therewith be content. Everybody here has clothes on, so we know we met the raiment part. If you didn't sk- if you didn't have breakfast, that's probably your fault because your wife might have fixed it and you didn't eat it or you were in just too much of a hurry and didn't get out of bed early enough. But I'm, is there anybody here that lacks any food in their cupboards or refrigerator at home? I doubt it. If there is, come see me. We'll give you some. i got a freezer stuffed full of stuff. But anyways, he says... Having food and raiment, then learn to be content. Learn to be content with what you got. They that will be rich will fall into a lot of different kinds of temptations and snares and foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. The love of money is the root of all evil. And while some have coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. He says, learn to fight the good fight of faith. God promises us in his word many, many times that he will provide us for the things that we need. What he wants us to learn to do is to be content. Over in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, I'll show you a few of these places. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, for example, Paul here is talking about the churches at Corinth, and he asked them that before they came from Greece, they would take an offering, gather up what had, what they were gathering together for the saints to minister to them in different countries. He didn't want his presence there to influence them and their giving, so he wanted them to do that in advance. And so he said unto them, as he's he's talking about this, he says in verse 5, Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren that they would go before unto you and make up beforehand your bounty. And the bounty there is, um, in the Greek, literally speaks of your affection or your uh, your love. He wanted this to be done as an attitude of the heart. Whereof you had noticed before that the same might be ready as a matter of bounty and not a matter of covetousness. But I say unto you, he which sows sparingly shall reap sparingly, 
and he that sows bountifully shall reap bountifully. Every man is according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly, not of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And he says those that will honor God and honor his people by showing love unto them and helping them out, he says that it's a matter of sowing and reaping. What you sow is what you reap. And he says in verse 8, God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you having all sufficiency. And the word there in the, in the Greek for sufficiency is, is content. He says that God will in his grace make sure that you have enough provision <coughs> to whereby you can have all contentment in all things. You're not going to be starving. You're not going to be, um, you're not going to be hurting financially but he's going to make sure that you're taken care of as it is written he has dispersed abroad he has given to the poor his righteousness remaineth forever and then in other places paul talks about in philippians chapter 4 and verse 11 i'm not trying to say that there won't be times in your life to whereby things may not go as prosperous as they did at other times we're living in a in a time right now where it's a very poor economy I think I heard somewhere, a report somewhere where unemployment was up around 13% in, air, in some areas, and that's quite high. But I think I heard the other day was during the Great Depression, it got up to 25%. So we're still almost twice as good now as we were back then. So let's keep a, a good attitude, right? But anyways, it's obvious. I mean... Uh, Zach made the comment that the place where he works, you know, they were still going to continue with bonuses and raises and things of that sort. But many other places, uh, benefits are being cut right and left. People are being laid off. So there are times where we're abounding and we're blessed, and there's times where we're not. You're going to go through times like that. I've been through the times like that many, many times. But Paul makes this statement. He, he knew of the same thing. And he made this statement in Philippians 4.12. He was talking about, uh, he was thanking the Philippians because they had uh, sent some kind of financial support for him and his ministry. And then he said in verse 11, not that I speak, am speaking in respect of want, for I've learned that in whatsoever state I am therewithin, to be content. He was not a murmurer. He was not a grumbler. He was not a complainer. He was not a whiner. When things were uh, on the positive, he rejoiced in it. But when things were not going the way that they should, he learned to be content. He learned to talk to the Lord, take things to the Lord, trust in the Lord, and God provided. He said, I know how to be, how to be abased, and I know how to abound. In everything and in all things, I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. He was content. He was stressing contentment. And the Bible stresses, stresses it over and over and over again. Look at Luke chapter 3. One time there were different individuals who were coming to John the Baptist. And they wanted to be baptized. And they asked him a question. What should we do before we get baptized? Because his message was repent and believe on the Lamb that was coming. They were to repent. So they were asking him, well, what should we do? So some soldiers came unto him and some tax collectors came unto him. And what he was preaching unto them was contentment. Be content. 
Luke chapter 3, <clears throat> verses 10 and following. You'll see as this message progresses. Contentment is a very important thing to God. I've said it over and over again for years, and sometimes people don't listen. But God does not like people that are murmuring and grumbling and complaining all the time. That's a very poor witness and testimony for a Christian, to constantly complaining about the circumstances that you're going through. God wants us rather to learn to trust him and to learn to, to uh, confess to what he has promised in his word he will do and to stop the complaining, to stop the murmuring. And sometimes just take a long, hard look at what he's given you and let the Holy Spirit remind you about how blessed you really are and turn that discontentment into contentment and thankfulness and praise. Luke chapter 3 and verse 10. Is there anybody in this room this morning that's never tempted to complain? Anybody ever complain or am I already kind of getting you a little bit like, yeah, I probably do complain too much. Anybody ever struggle with discontentment? Huh? Well, we'll talk about it a little bit more as we go, but I'm just going to emphasize how important it is to learn to be content. And especially in this day and hour, where when we may not have the financial means to get all the things that the world's throwing at us, the last thing we want to do is succumb to some kind of a credit snare and put ourselves in a bigger bind. In Luke chapter 3 and verse 10, this is where they're coming to John the Baptist and they're asking him, what should they do? Verse 10 says that. The people said, well, what should we do? And he answered and said unto them, he that has two coats, let him impart to him that has none. He that has meat, let him do likewise. And then he came to the publican, then came the publicans to be baptized. These guys were the IRS agents of the day. And they said unto him, Master, what should we do? And he said, Exact no more than that which is appointed unto you. In other words, they had ways of threatening people and intimidating people to whereby they could get more out of them. I mean, it's an, it is a fearful, intimidating thing to be contacted by the IRS. I was contacted one time in an audit, and it makes you nervous a little bit if you're not careful, you know? you got three days to report to my office in Lima and bring everything with you. and go, ooh, and you, this is kind of the last thing you want to do. But anyways... <clears throat> He said, exact no more. They were crooks. And the soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, well, what shall we do? And he said, do no violence, do no accusing falsely, be content with your wages. Now, I know we don't have soldiers in here this morning. I know that. But to me, the soldier was like the, the worker for the Roman government. And we certainly have government workers here this morning, or we at least have workers here for other types of employers. And the principle applies. He said, do no violence. He said, don't accuse people falsely. I mean, don't start bad-mouthing your boss, and don't start looking for things that to, to do to get back at them. I worked at a factory where they, they just shut it down recently. And there were all kinds of things stolen. They hired police to guard the doors, to watch it, protect it. But there was still all kinds of tools and computer equipment and everything else that was still stolen by people that just uh, had a bad attitude. And he went on to say, don't speak uh, evil of your boss and learn to what? Be content with your wages. 
Quit grumbling. Quit complaining about what you make. I remember one time where somebody was complaining about a job that they do and how much they were making, and I was telling it to some other individuals that had got laid off, and they looked at me and said, tell them we'll take their job. <clears throat> you know, you don't appreciate it until you lose it. Then all of a sudden you realize how blessed maybe you really were. And then one more, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. I mean, if you can say, well, I don't work anywhere for or work anything, work anywhere, or work for anybody right now. Maybe you're retired. Well, then how about this one? Let's see if we can hit you with this scripture. There are many of them that point to it. He says, let your life be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have. Because he has said, I will never leave thee, and I will never forsake thee. Contentment is a great blessing for us to get developed in our life. When we can learn to be content with what we have, we're going to be a whole lot better off in this life. We're going to have peace and rest and not get caught up in a lot of the murmuring and the grumbling and complaining that people in this world do because they feel like they don't have enough. <coughs> Discontentment is a tool that Satan uses to attack the lives of believers. Being content in today's world, it can be a challenge. The world is constantly bombarding us with new consumer things, new computers, new computer games, cameras, cars, tools, appliances, clothes, <coughs> you name it. What happened to my water up here? Nate always has a water. Where is he at? Could you, could you get me a glass of water, please, or find me a, Oh, look at this. <laughs> Thank you very much. Ah. Dolan was telling me the other day we had a um, something come through on an email. I belong to a camera club. And the head of the camera club put it on email and he said, here's someone that has a very expensive camera and he's selling it on eBay. And I think he paid like $7,000 for this camera. It was a professional type model. And he was selling it to get a new one. And I mentioned to Dolan something about it. He goes, well, that guy bought a brand new camera here not a lot long ago. cost $5,000. Two months later, the next new model came out to make it obsolete. And we all kind of laughed at that. You know, you could go broke trying to keep up with all the high-tech stuff that people keep coming out with today. You know, there's a point where you got to learn to be content with what you've got. I'm not saying it's wrong to do that, but I'm just saying we're constantly being bombarded with this new computer, this new game, this new car, this new thing for your house, and on and on. In the world of careers, people are being bombarded all the time with the, with the idea of, if I could only do this, I could make more money. I could work less hours. I would have better working conditions. I would have better bosses. I could have a better office, and on and on and on. I already told you about the situation where some men were complaining about the job that they had to do. And I told it to them, and then I went back to those guys, and I and when they started complaining again about it, I said to them, I know a couple guys in North Baltimore that wouldn't mind coming over here and doing that job if you don't want to do it. And they looked at one another, and one of them said, what would you say? And I repeated it, and then they didn't say any more about it. There was no more complaining. Because a couple years ago, they were laid off, and they were glad to get their jobs back. Sometimes there's temptations to be discontent in marriage. 
You're being feel like you're being mistreated. You're being unappreciated. You're being abused. You're tied down with bills. You got all kinds of things with kids. My wife and I went to a um, <clears throat> kind of a charity dinner last night at another church. Some uh, little baby needed a family needed money for a little baby that their they're going to have an operation on their heart. And anyways, we were talking to someone out in the lobby. And they said how that their youngest son, which happened to be Zachary's age, we were talking about Zachary having a little boy. And they said, well, he had thought about having kids, but they came over and saw the rest of the grandkids and saw all that vomit and all that dirty diapers and all these kids running around yelling, making noise, and they looked at one another, husband and wife, that is, <coughs> and said, no thanks. <laughs> But I'm just saying, people were all tempted to murmur, to complain, to be discontent, to complain about your car, to complain about your house, to complain about an object, to complain about your job, to complain about your boss, to complain about your wife, to complain about your husband. Do I need to keep going? The devil wants to try to get us murmuring and grumbling and complaining and discontent with what we have so that he can tempt us to get into things that God doesn't want us to get into. Godliness with contentment, that's what Paul said. Think about it. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Why? Because discontented people, let me put on a different screen, are always complaining. They're never satisfied. They have no rest, they have no peace, they're greedy, they're envious, they're miserable, and they make everybody else around them as miserable as well. Amen? Well, you're a quiet bunch, but it's true. They lack the power of God's grace, they're unthankful, they're always focusing on what they don't have instead of what they do have. And they fail to see that the first temptation that Satan presented to mankind was discontentment. Think about it. What was the first temptation that came into mankind? Adam and Eve had everything but one thing. Everything but one. And the devil said, you don't have that. You need that. You're being cheated without that. And they didn't look around and think about all of the all of the blessings that God had given them in the garden, all they could think about was just that one tree with the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil that they were told they were not to eat of, and it was the focus of their mind and their attention, and the next thing you know, they succumbed to that temptation. The devil, he fell, the Bible says. Look at Isaiah 14. Why did the devil fall from his place and position of authority when God created him? Well, here you have in Isaiah 14, the Bible talks about Lucifer. And what was it? I mean, he was the son of the morning. He was created as an anointed cherub of God. And yet, what was it that caused him to fall? Oh, we know that there was pride and so forth involved, but what was, what was at the root of that? He says in verse 14, in verse 12 of Isaiah 14, How art thou fallen from heaven? O Lucifer, son of the morning, how art thou cut down to the ground which did weakens the nation? 
For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I'll sit upon the mount of the congregation on the sides of the north. I'll ascend above the heights of the clouds. I'll be like the Most High. He wanted and coveted and desired something that he didn't have. He wasn't content with the position, the power, and the authority that God had given him. He wanted more. And the result? Well, verse 15, yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. Now, the devil fell because of his desire for something that he didn't have, and he was not content. <clears throat> and the same thing was true with the nation of Israel. My wife told me, remember what she shared this morning? She said how that she was just thinking about how that when God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, they came forth with silver and with gold, and there was not anything that they lacked. Isn't that right? It seemed like, you know, these were slave people that had absolutely nothing. And when God brought them forth, he brought them forth with an abundance. And you would have thought that when they got into the wilderness, and they would have been thankful and remembering for all the things that God had given them and all the things that God had done. But instead... They were nothing but a murmuring, grumbling, complaining people. And if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, this was written for us. It was written for all Christians. It's written as a reminder that God doesn't like the murmuring and God doesn't like the complaining. What he wants us to do is to learn to be content with the things that we have. Are you tempted to complain? Did you complain on the way to church? Are you tempted to complain about things? Maybe there's some things at home that you don't like. Maybe it's too small for the number of the kids that you got. Maybe it's a little bit too drafty for this winter cold that you're going through. Were you complaining about that car you're driving? Because as you looked at it, you thought, man, this thing's getting up around 100,000 miles. I got news for you. Mine's kicking 200,000 and still going strong. <laughs> but... We're so tempted many times to complain about houses, cars, clothing, items, job, etc., etc. You know, if we would just stop and take and, and, and have an inventory and a thought of all the things that we've got probably right now that we're not even using, that are tucked away somewhere, you know what I'm saying? God has blessed us all. We are like the children of Israel. We've come forth with silver and with gold, and there's not anything among, any amongst us that are hurting. And yet, Israel started murmuring and complaining and became discontent with what they had, and they never went any further with God. Moreover, brethren, I'm in 1 Corinthians 10, I would not that you be ignorant, how that all of our fathers were under the cloud and they all passed through the sea. The cloud was the protection that God had given them. He was watching over and protecting them. And he brought them through the Red Sea. And they were all baptized into Moses. What does that mean, baptized into Moses, by the way? I mean, here is one situation where baptized doesn't mean immersed. 
They were mentored by Moses. He was their example. He was their leader. They looked unto him for wisdom and guidance. And, and Moses was probably the greatest leader of all in the Old Testament. So that's what he's saying. They were, um, they were mentored by Moses. They were guided and directed by this great man of God. They were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Moses was there to direct them and guide them. And God was directing Moses. They all did eat of that same spiritual meat. They all did drink of that same spiritual drink. And they drank of that spiritual rock which followed them, and that rock was Christ. God was there to provide them with food, with water, with protection, with shelter. Nobody could touch them. They had silver. They had gold from their enemies that they gave them and said, get out of here. They were a greatly blessed people. But with many of them, God was not well pleased because they were overthrown in the wilderness. And these were written as examples to our intent that we would not lust after things as they did. Where'd they go astray? What did they do wrong? They weren't content with what they had. Don't be idolaters as they were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Don't commit fornication as some of them did. And were and and as it is, and they fell in one day twenty three thousand. Let us not tempt Christ as some of them also tempted him, and were destroyed of the serpents. Neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. And all these things happen unto them, for examples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. I believe it is the end times. It just seems to get. Like I told one man last night, he was saying something about Obama, and I said, well, I'm, he doesn't fit my theology to be the beast, but I'd be, I, I'm willing to change my the, theology. And I'm not saying that he is, but I'll tell you what, he's directing this country more and more into a socialistic, uh, ungodly direction in a lot of ways. He wasn't even off us, what, one or two days, and he took and directed federal funds to start abortions to get going again, and some other things. And the guy's a little bit scary, and I'm still trying to be respectful because I know he's our leader. But I'll tell you what, I, I really believe by all the things that are there, we are in the end times. We are in the end times. And he said this was written for those in the end times. With all the things that we have in this world today, it's amazing the murmuring and the complaining that goes on. You know, we're not standing on dirt floors. We're standing here on carpeting. We're not standing here with a fireplace burning wood. We've got heat that's clean and dry. We're not standing here having to light candles and lamps. We've got electric lights. We don't have to run to communicate to some other group a message, we pick up a cell phone. We live in a time where we're spoiled rotten with all kinds of things that we've been given at any other time in history. You go to Williamsburg or Jamestown or any kind of historical site, and you sit in the buildings and you get spoken to by these individuals that are giving you a little bit of a history lesson, and you look around and you say, wow, we've got it cushy. We've got it made. And yet, is any, has it made everybody quit complaining? No. 
people are still constantly murmuring and complaining about their circumstances and things that are going on. Discontentment is grumbling about your place in society, your size or type of home or car, unpleasant neighbors, co-workers, employers, physical limitations, and on and on and on. But in whatever it is, God abhors the complaining. Do you Have you ever stopped to think about this for a moment? The murmuring, the complaining, the grumbling, it really is put right back, right in the same list in the Ten Commandments as adultery and stealing. Do you ever think about that? That's how bad it is. Look, if you will, at Exodus chapter 20, the, the chapter where the Ten Commandments are. I remember one time saying to, uh, saying to a woman that she needed Jesus, she needed to be saved, and she said back to me something, in essence, it's been many years ago, about how the, there wasn't any sin in her life. She'd never committed, committed any adultery, or she'd never killed anybody. I guess she thought that was pretty much the limit of things. But take the latter five of the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20 and verse, well, we can actually back up to 12. Honor thy father and mother, that the days of thy that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not lie or bear fitness falsehood against thy neighbor, and thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, thou shalt not covet his manservant, maidservant, his ox, his ass, or anything that belongs to somebody else. And that's what discontentment is. Discontentment is looking around at what somebody else has got and complaining that you don't have it. It's complaining that what they've got is better than what you've got. It's a form of envy. It's a form of greed. Instead of, instead of being content and thankful for what you have, it's always murmuring and complaining because somebody else got something that you want. It falls into that category. And stop and think about it. It's right there. In one of the in the same line as the what some people call the cardinal sins that we should avoid. Don't grumble. If anything in this church we've taught you, use your faith. Trust the Lord. I mean, Mark eleven twenty four says, "What things ever you desire, when you pray, believe you receive it, and you shall have it." If you want a new computer, if you want a new car, if you want a different job, if you want a new home, pray and ask for it. That isn't what we're saying. But to sit around and grumble and complain and murmur because you don't have it is just an attitude of discontentment about what you have. If you learn to be more thankful and content with what you have, maybe God will bless you more with something later on. Seriously. Look at Luke chapter 12, verse 13. I don't know what else I can really say when it comes to discontentment. God wants us to learn to be, to take and be content and thankful for what we have been given. Have you ever had a child raising your children? Have you ever had a child that just seems so ungrateful? You've done everything for them. She, put your hand down, Melody. You're not there yet. Lift it up in 18 years and we'll listen to you. Okay. <laughs> she's got a two-year-old just wait yeah we'll tell you some stories 
But those of you that have got children that are older, it seems like you bought them clothes, you're, you're paying their bills at school, you're buying them bicycles. You know, you're, you're trying to provide for them as a parent in umpteen different ways. You see all kinds of money going out the window toward them. Do you enjoy it when they complain? You put 40 bucks out for a pair of blue jeans and they look at it and say, I don't like them. Or you go out and buy them a new bicycle and it costs you 50 bucks and they say, oh, I wanted one with more gears on it than that. You know what I'm saying? And the temptation is to say, well, you ungrateful brat. <laughs> Do you ever think God feels that way about us? That he helps us out and blesses us? And do we deserve it? No, we don't deserve it. He does it because he loves us, period. He watches out for us. I was really touched by what Melody said today. That just shows us that God watches out for his own. He takes care of us. But to start complaining and grumbling and murmuring, it reminds me one time I was listening to a radio talk show, and a man called in from... They were talking about the homeless, and a man called in, and he was a hostess man delivering uh, hostess bread. And there was a guy standing out in front of a shopping mall or shopping store or something somewhere, and it said, we'll work for food. So the guy pulled up in his truck, and he said, I got some bread in the back that you can have if you're hungry. He said, bread? I don't want any bread. You got any Twinkies or anything? <laughs> oh, and I thought ungrateful my wife one time stopped and one of those guys had their sign out will work for food and she told him you know if they came home that they could clean she had some things for him she wanted to do clean cupboards and different things like that and then she'd pay them and they didn't want that they wanted a handout they wanted something free they didn't want to work you want to say well then put the sign down but in Luke chapter 12 and verse 13 He's giving a parable here in this regard. They're fighting over some inheritance. A couple of brothers, evidently. One company said to him in verse 13, Master, would you speak to my brother that he divides the inheritance with me? In other words, they weren't dividing it equally. <coughs> the Lord talked to my brother. This isn't fair. We ought to have a 50-50 split. And he got 55% and I got 45. And Jesus said to him, who made me a judge or a divider over you? In other words, what are you doing fighting over money? What are you doing fighting over material things? So he gave him a parable. He said, take heed and beware of covetousness. Take heed and beware of wrong attitudes toward money. Because a man's life does not consist in the abundance of things which he possesses. And boy, in America today, if you're rich and famous, if you've got an abundance, then you're successful, but not in God's kingdom. So he gives this parable. A ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully, and he thought within himself, well, what am I going to do? I've got no room wherewith I can bestow my, my goods. I mean, it just didn't come to him, you know. Wow, I really had a bumper crop this year. I wonder if some of the Orphanages could use some of this. I wonder if some of the homeless shelters could have used some of this. I wonder if some of the churches could use some of this. 
I wonder if there's any organizations out there, even a jail, that I could take some of this bumper crop that I got and pass it around and see if anybody could use it. It didn't even come to him. First thing he started thinking about was, man, I got a bumper crop. Where am I going to put all this money? So he thought within himself saying, well, what am I going to do? Because they have no room. He said, well, this is what I'm going to do. I'll pull down my barns because they were too small. And I'll just build bigger ones. And there I'll put all my fruits and my goods. And I'll just start stowing all that stuff away. And I'll say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Now you can eat, drink, and be merry. Now you can retire at 25. But God said, you fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. And then whose things will they be, which thou hast provided? Well, they either go to the government because you didn't have any kids, or if any kids, then the kids would get it. And you know what happened to the kids would get it. The kids would be fighting over it like they did in the very beginning because they would say, Jesus, would you talk to my brother? He got two barns and I only got one. What a rat race. He that lays treasure up for himself is not rich toward God. He's talking about what? Contentment. Learn to be content with the things that we have. Do you have food? Do you have clothing? Do you have shelter? Are your bills paid? Are you working? Hey, isn't there a place of being thankful and praising God for what you have? Discontentment puts you in the same class as certain saints or certain individuals. Personally, I, don't, I, I wouldn't care to want to be in the same class as these guys. I'd rather be in the same class as a, a Peter, a Paul, a Moses, a Joshua. But the class of people that weren't content, there's a lot of them, but here's some. There's Achan over in Joshua chapter 7. We might turn it real quick and I'll read real quickly what was said. Joshua and the children of Israel were going into the land of Canaan. They conquered Jericho. It was a piece of cake. God supernaturally blessed them. And then they went up against this next city, which was a small village and nothing compared to Jericho. And so they only sent part of the army in, and the army was defeated. And they fell on their faces before God, and they said, what's going on? And God said, I'm not going to bless you. There's sin in the camp. And Joshua said, what do you mean there's sin in the camp? And they said, somebody wasn't content with what they had, and they decided to steal. They went in, and they were told that when they conquered the cities, all the plunder was to be given uh, unto the nation, and then they would use it accordingly, and they decided to steal and hide it. And so they narrowed on down, and in verse 19, they finally get this one individual to confess what he had done. And Joshua says, all right, tell us what you did. So in Joshua chapter 7 and verse 19, we read, Joshua said, Achan, my son, give, I pray thee, glory to God, the God of Israel, and make confession unto him, and tell me what thou hast done, and don't hide it from me. <coughs> and Achan answered Joshua and said, I have indeed sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And thus and thus have I done. And when I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonish garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold, 50 shekels weight, then I coveted them and I took them. And behold, they are hid in the earth and in the midst of my tent underneath of it. So they went, they got it out from under the tent. They got back what was taken. And then they turned Achan into a rock pile. If you keep on reading. 
I mean, they didn't say, we'll give you a break on this. He ended up becoming, they ended up putting a mound of rocks upon him. He got stoned. <coughs> Why? Because he wasn't content with what he had. And he went after what was he was told not to. And then there's another one over in Gehazi. We've read this before. You remember the story about Naaman, the captain of Syria that had leprosy? And he went to the king of Israel and he desired that uh, he get cured. The king of Israel said, what am I, God? I can't do this. He said, well, I heard there was a prophet in the land that could cure me. And they said, well, that must be Elisha. So they called on Elisha. And when he said unto him, Elisha, I want to be cured of my leprosy. Elisha said, go jump in the river. Jordan, that is. <clears throat> and uh, Naaman got very upset about it. And his servant said to him, hey, if he would have told you to go on out and do some great military battle and you did that, you would do that and think nothing about it, right? He said, yeah. He said, well, if the man told you to go to the Jordan River and dip seven times, what's it going to hurt to dip seven times? So he went, he dipped, and he got cleansed. And then he found Elisha. I'll turn to 2 Kings chapter 5 and read it real quick as I pick up the story. He went and found Elisha, and he said to him, you know, I want to show gratitude for you delivering me and curing me of this leprosy. And Elisha said, I don't want anything from you. And he offered him all kinds of money and all kinds of goodly clothing and stuff. And Elisha said, I don't want anything. And so they, he gathers up a bunch of dirt, throws it in bags, and they go off on their way. He was taking dirt because he wanted to build a place where he could worship not of the Lord. And all this time, here's Gehazi, his servant, standing back, listening to all this, thinking, you got to be kidding me. This Syrian captain is offering to make my master rich, and he's not cashing in on it. So when Elisha gets a little ways away, Gehazi thinks, I'm going to go cash in on it if, if uh, Elisha won't. And so you pick up in verse 14. He went down and dipped himself seven times. I'll back up a little bit further on that. Afterwards, when he wanted to be, uh, when he was departing a little way, verse 19, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, Behold, my master has spared Naaman, my master has spared Naaman, this Syrian, in not receiving at the hands of which he had brought. But as the Lord liveth, I'll run after him and I'll take somewhat. So Gehazi followed and Naaman saw him running after him, and he got down from his chariot, and he said, It's all well. He said, It's well. My master has sent me, saying, Behold, even now there be come to me from Mount Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Give them a talent of silver and two changes of garments. And Naaman said, Be content and take double what you're asking for. Two talents. And he urged him and bound two talents of silver and two bags and two changes of garments and laid them upon his servants. And off they went. You remember the story. I don't have to read it all to you. And so afterwards, Elisha sees Achan. And he says unto him, where, where you been, Elisha? Verse 25, he went in, stood before his master. Elisha said, uh, where you been, Gehazi? And he said, I didn't go anywhere. And he said, went not my heart with thee when the man turned again to the chariot to meet thee. Is it a time to receive money and garments and olive yards and vineyards and sheep and oxen and men servant and maidservants? 
So what happened to him? You know the story. He was discontent. And what did his discontent get him? Discontentment get him. The leprosy of Naaman. Am I getting across? The children of Israel were discontent. They didn't make it into the promised land. Lucifer himself was discontent. He's got a fiery pit waiting him someday. We're told here that Gehazi, because of his discontentment about what he had, went after riches in a wrong way. What did he got? The leprosy of Naaman. And we could go on and on. Ananias and Sapphira is in the same company as Achan. Today's judgments on things may not appear as severe and obvious like stones on top of Achan. But the Bible says in 1 Timothy 5.24, some men's sins go before into judgment, and some men's sins are dealt with now. And just because it may appear like somebody is unethical and greedy and covetousness, and they have a, nothing but a desire for money and material things, and that's where their life is focused upon, and it appears like when they go home, it appears like everything's going fine and well. Don't look around at the wealth and the riches of others and covet that. It isn't worth it. You know, it doesn't take too much. Too, so often we hear of the rich and the famous Hollywood people, and their lives make the smut papers, the garbage papers. And so often you hear about divorce, problems, um, all different kinds of things, drugs, alcohol, jail. Their money hasn't got them the happiness that they need. There's a place of learning to be content with what we have. God's attitude, do you think God's attitude has changed? No. Listen to what he said. First John chapter 2 and verse 15. We're told, love not the world, Neither the things that are in the world, if any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. All that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, it's not of the Father, it's of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust thereof. Let's learn to be content. Let me give you, just mention, I won't get into the detail, of a few quick things that I'm going to stop that will help us renew our mind and overcome discontentment. Number one, pray for God to help you, to remind you of how many things he's blessed you with, and to learn to be content with that. Secondly, remind yourself about some of the eternal things and their value, and how they're far more greater than the gold that perishes. Psalm 19 points in that direction. Psalm 90 and verse 12 is another one. He says there, the psalmist, Lord, he prayed, teach us to number our days. It is almost February 2009. Some of us, when we became Christians, we were just barely 20 years old. Now we're heading toward our 60s. You know, we've learned a lot about contentment. We've learned a lot about numbering our days. Time is short if we're not with it. Now is the time to make sure we do. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 23. Don't work for your own ambition, but rather as a service to others and to God. We're talking about work. 
don't work for your own ambition. I'm going to work hard and smart so I can have that big home, that big car, that big career, that big name, that big title, and on and on. Get your ethics where they should be. As a worker, God wants you to work under the Lord and work as a service to others, to be a blessing to them. You get that right, and God will turn around and bless you abundantly. Remember that talents and abilities come from God. There are many, many places. First Chronicles 29.12, Deuteronomy 8.18, and on and on. These gifts and talents and abilities, they come from God. And pray and ask God to help you to use them to be a blessing unto others. First Timothy 6, 17 to 18 is another. Responsibility comes with wealth and blessings. If you happen to come into it, use it the way God wants you to use it. And remember, lastly, that God is in complete and total control of all providence. He's in control of our lives. If things aren't going real well in your life right now, then learn to use your faith, and God will turn them around. But don't join the crowd murmurs and grumblers and complainers and whiners. Let's learn to be content with what we have. Amen? Amen. Father, I ask you to minister to the church this morning. And when we're tempted to grumble, to complain, to be dissatisfied at things that are going on in our life, remind us that we can change that by prayer but murmuring and grumbling and complaining about our material things, about our jobs, about the society in which we live in, about anything. Constantly murmuring and complaining is nothing more than a sign of discontentment. And discontentment you've dealt with very harshly in the Word. You, dis you despise it. You hate it. You don't want us bringing it forth because it's nothing more than an ungrateful, unthankful attitude for what you have done for us in our life. Let the word be a, a sword in our hands that we can correct ourselves with it and get delivered of murmuring, grumbling, and complaining about the things that we're going through in this life. Help us to be content, Father. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.